Hi, this is Felix Chimeranyika, lead pastor of Kairos Christian Center in Lilonga, Malawi. I am happy that you have joined us for the Kairos Lilonga podcast, and I believe God is going to inspire you and break you through into your kingdom destiny as you hear the word unpacked. This is your Kairos moment, God's appointed season for your kingdom breakthrough. In one of my first times that I went there, the weight room, I noticed that there were these really big, gigantic guys. But the trainer that was training me that time said, we're not going to start with the weights, we're, we're going to start with the cardio stuff. You know, the stepping and the running and, and stuff like that. And I said, but why? He says, well, that's where you get your strength. So it is possible on the outside to look big, but on the inside not have the strength. Because your strength really comes from your heart, and so it's your heart that really needs to be worked, and so that you can really be strong. And even when you pump on the outside, it can actually be seen that, oh, okay, this person actually is fit. But you know, I think a lot of Christians have this weight room mentality, where they actually think that it's the doing of the things or the appearances of things, that they look big or they look holy and whatever, and that that's what to be a Christian and to be somebody in the sight of God will be seen as somebody that is important. Well, that's not true. And Jesus here is trying to give his disciples an understanding of what true piety is, what true holiness is. And if I would distill this into a sentence, what this passage is teaching us, it would be God rewards a humble holiness. God rewards a humble holiness. Can you turn to your neighbor and tell them, God's a humble holiness. God rewards a humble holiness. And, and how, how does it work out? How, how does it do that? What is this humble holiness? First of all, to realize that God rewards humble giving. God rewards humble giving. Remember again the setting of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus has gone to a mountain before he was with the crowds. In fact, he was doing all these miracle signs and wonders, but he goes to this mountain, and when he sits down, that's when his disciples come. And from Matthew chapter number 5, all the way to chapter number 7, he's speaking to his disciples. He's not speaking to the crowds anymore. He's speaking to his disciples, those that will follow him on his path and bring about the purposes of God. And so he gives to his disciples what life ought to be like in the kingdom of God. In chapter number 5, he has told them about the the blessed life, the Beatitudes. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit, for they shall see God. And then he has gone on to say that, look, you have heard it written that in the law it was said that you should not murder. I tell you that you should, whoever is angry with his brother has committed murder already. And then he goes on and gives some six things in the first chapter about how they ought to understand the law of God. And now he comes to the point where now speaking to them in terms of their holiness, in terms of their piety. Because friend, listen, a Christianity or any religion that does not express itself in actions is a dead religion. And so that's when he starts telling them this. And look at verse number one. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Right? And so that's like a summary statement of 16 verses. Is it 17 verses? From chapter number 6, verse number 1, all the way to verse number 18, this is the heart of it. Beware of practicing righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
It's always a temptation, isn't it? When we think we're better than others. That we show others that, look, I'm, I'm, I'm better than you. Well, of course, the religious spirit doesn't want to come out and, and say it like that. But that's the attitude behind it. It wants to show other people that I'm better than you. And Jesus says, beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That's the catchphrase there. In order to be seen. So the issue is not practicing righteousness in front of other people, but in order to be seen by them. I mean, you have to practice your righteousness, isn't it? You have to practice your faith. But if you practice your faith in order that other people will see you or should see you, huh? God says, Jesus says, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Then he jumps into that make for holiness or righteousness in the Jewish mindset. Giving, praying, fasting. Those are the three things that were expected of a devout Jewish believer. Those are the three things that were also expected of a disciple of Jesus. Number one, giving. Verse number two. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the, synagogue, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. So giving to the needy was one of those things that a pious Jew was meant to be doing. That if you're really a person that feared God, you would also take care of the needy. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, there is always a provision. The tithe was supposed to be given to the Levites and also given to the poor, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, the refugee from some other country. And so that was understood. If you do that, then you are worshiping God. In fact, there's Proverbs, there's a proverb that says, he who gives to the poor lends to God. He who gives to the poor lends to God. Right? And so here, again, he's speaking in the context definitely of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these people that were religious on the outward. That when they would give, they would give in such a way that everybody would see. That they'll blow trumpets, in other words. Literally, he's not trying to say that literally they'll bring a trumpet and say, and blow it and say, I'm about to give. No. But they did it in such a way that it was like an announcement. And so he says, hypocrites. A hypocrite, in those days, literally was an actor. In, when they were doing their dramas, they would have somebody take on a mask. Right? And print a character. And then they would go take another mask, a very simple person, and present another character. Probably go take another mask and present a third character. He says, that's a hypocrite. You know, you're, you're all these things and you're none of these things. He says, don't be like that. Don't be like a hypocrite. That you're giving in order that you may be praised by others. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What is their reward? Being praised by others wanted in the first place isn't it they wanted to be praised by others and so because they're praised by others they have received their reward verse number three but when you give to the needy do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so give it. this hand isn't knowing what this hand is doing now is that practically possible uh no so what is jesus saying well he's using a figure of speech which uses exaggeration it's called hyperbole Right? He, it uses it to make a point. The point is that when you give, don't give in such a way that you want people to know and people to appreciate you that you have given this thing. 
I don't know if you've seen one of those ambulances donated by some MP. It actually has his name on it. Anybody ever seen that? An ambulance given, donated to such, such a clinic or hospital, and it's got the guy's name there. It's like, uh-oh. And probably the guy says he's Christian. As a Christian, as Christians, we're not supposed to do that. To give in such a way that other people will praise us. Now, if people decide to honor us for our giving, that's a totally different thing, isn't it? Because in honoring us for our giving, probably they'll be encouraging other people too to be giving. Right? And so here, the point is, do not give in such a way that other people will start to praise you. You will have received your reward. Verse number four, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. He says, when you give discreetly, when you give, in a sense, in secret, without making a show of it, there's a reward for you from the Father. See, God will reward those that are faithful to Him. He's not a God without promise. He's not a God without reward. He's a God who will give to those that do things according to His way. Hallelujah. Right? And I think it's in Hebrews chapter number 11. It says, For without faith it is impossible to please him. For anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those that seek him. So even as we give to God, we will get our reward. When will we get our reward? When he comes back, yes. But also, even as we do what God has called us to do, he will reward us. But to give in such a manner that we show other people that we have given and so that we can get praise from them, we will receive our reward right here. God rewards humble giving. When you give, do you give in such a way that people should know you have given? When you give, when you do something nice for somebody, do you do it that that person knows that I'm the one that did it? That they owe you? Maybe you get the reward from them, but not a reward from God. God rewards humble giving. Number two, God rewards humble praying. Now I want you to watch this. On the giving, three verses. Verse two, three, four. On the fasting, which we shall see, again, another verses. 16, 17, 18. But on the praying, pretty much like 11 verses. Meaning to say, this is a point of emphasis for Jesus, and therefore a point of emphasis for every disciple of Jesus. Amen. A point of emphasis for every disciple of Jesus, because it is in prayer that we have a relationship with God. Primarily, our relationship with God is in our prayer lives. And so Jesus starts explaining, watch verse number 7 there. He says, oh, verse number 5, I'm sorry. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at their street corners that they may be seen by others. And so they do it in such a way that other people will see them and other people will appreciate them. He says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray your father who is in secret. How ought prayer to be? Prayer must be private. 
Yeah, it should start from the privacy of your life and move into the, 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 the sphere of your life. But first and foremost, it should start in your room. It should start with you. Listen, if you're doing things here when we come to worship and pray that you don't do by yourself, it could be that you're in danger of being showy with your praying. Well, because some of us just love the attention, isn't it? Amen. Some of us just love the attention. We want people to say nice things about us. And so we'll do things that are showy. He says, no, you must start doing that in your room. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. So is Jesus saying the only place that you should be praying should always be in your room? No, he's making a contrast, drawing a contrast between the person that prays in such a way which is showy. Who prays because there are other people. Amen. You know, some of us, we pray when there are other people, isn't it? Hallelujah. When there are other people, pray. Other people, oh man, we are on fire. Our, ourselves, uh-uh. Start in your room. Tell your neighbor, start in your room. Start in your room. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So what you're doing in secret, the father who sees in secret, and like the others that don't even see in secret, he's going to reward you. How's he going to reward you? When you well, he'll answer your prayer. And then he says, verse number seven about prayer. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. So there are others that when they pray, oh, it's bombastic words. It's bombastic words. It's like you've pulled out a theological dictionary. Your propitiation, almighty God, your attributes, your age. Listen, that's for the classroom. Leave it there. Here, you're just, you're just talking to God. Right? And so they have all these empty phrases. Phrases that are repeated over and over again. Oh, Father God, Jesus, Father God, Jesus, Father Excuse me, excuse me. I mean, how would you like it if somebody were to speak to you and he said, Hey, Simone, are you coming home? Simone, are you, are you going to do this? Simone, are you going to... would be like, please, please, cut out all that trash. Just talk to me. Isn't it? And that's what God is saying. He's basically saying, I don't need you to impress me or to impress others. I usually like the, the, the prayers at political rallies. They usually read out. Eh? Read out. And they can belong. And they will be, I call them informative prayers to God. Like God doesn't know, so they, they're informing God this and that. No, 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 no. What they're doing is talking to you and me. And so they're making all these statements to you and to me. They have forgotten that they're praying before God the Father. Then he says, don't have empty phrases. Don't think that men are going to make your prayer more effective. Now I want us to watch this. Because you see, this is not to say that you should not spend a long time in prayer. Because we know that Jesus that is teaching this spent time on all night praying. Isn't it? So this is not about length of prayer. It's emptiness of prayer. The empty words that it's about. It's against. It's against prayers that are empty, that have no substance to them. That are just words. And there's nothing behind those words. If it's a prayer that is heartfelt, a prayer that is expressing the things that are inside the person that is praying, and that person prays for 40 days, it's a worthy, acceptable before God. 
Because some people say, hey, listen, I don't know what's wrong with you guys. You, you're praying all night? What were you doing? You're just repeating stuff? No, you don't pray like that. That's it. No, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Because that person, if they're praying heartfelt prayers from their heart and words that are meaningful, that person is truly praying before God. Verse number 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You know, sometimes we domesticate God. We make God small. We think He's on our level and, you know, He's getting surprised by the turn of events as we are. No, He's not. He's in eternity. The future, past, present, they're all as one to Him. You are the one who's caught up in this situation and wondering, get out of this fix. God already knows what you need before you even ask. In fact, before it even happened, He knew it. Why? Because He made it happen. Amen. And so he says, all these empty promises, all this rolling on the ground or whatever that you think you're going to do, that's going to make God to say, okay, now I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. You know, some people's prayers, it's like they're trying to get God to come at a place that, that they, he just feels sorry for them and so he does something about their situation. He says, no, he knows what you need before you even ask him. So how then should we pray? So Jesus, verse number 9, says, pray then like this. Now, this has been prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. In fact, in Luke chapter number 11, I think, where this very same prayer is taught, actually, in Luke, it's in the context of the disciples. saw the disciples of John the Baptist and how they pray. And then they saw Jesus praying in a certain place. And so they went to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Like John so taught his disciples to pray. So whose prayer is Jesus is giving? The disciples' prayer. So this is not the Lord's prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. If you want the Lord's prayer, John chapter number 17, when he's praying for himself and praying for the disciples is going to live in the earth. And so the disciples' prayer becomes for us a teaching, a theology of prayer. But also at the very same time, it's an outline. In other words, it's not something that you should just say word for word and you have prayed. No, it's an outline. It tells you headings of things that you should be praying for. And it has headings. It's six petitions. Three of the first ones, they're directed towards God. The last three, they're directed toward human need. So watch what he says, verse number 9 again. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven. In other words, you come before God as your Father. Amen. It presupposes there is a relationship there, isn't it? If he's not your Father, you can't come before God. John writes in John chapter number 1, he says, And to all who received Jesus, he gave them the power to be children of God. How do you become a child of God? You receive Jesus. When you receive Jesus, you're a child of God. And they come before the Father and say, Our Father who is in heaven. See, the beginning point of prayer is relationship with God that begins with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name in other words may your name be made holy 
May your name be holy. In fact, your, your name is holy. Your name is separate from your creation. Your person is, se is separate from your creation. You are the creator. We are the creatures. There is this unending eternal chasm division between creator and creature. And so that the one that calls on God as father must understand the father is holy is separate from his creation. Which means in praying this prayer, at least in praying this part, the prayer is actually saying, in my life I'll make you holy. In my life I'll live a whole life because you are my father. So first petition directed toward God, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Second petition, verse number two, your kingdom come. The Jewish rabbis used to teach in prayer, that does not mention the kingdom of God is not a prayer. It's not a prayer. If it doesn't mention the kingdom of God, it's not a prayer. Why was that the case? Because the understanding from the Bible is this. God wants to bring his authority in the earth again. Ever since Adam and Eve gave over the authority that was given them to Satan, this world is the world of Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. And so, in God's plan... His plan of redemption, of winning the world back to himself, how is he going to do that? He's going to bring back his authority in the earth. In fact, the coming of Jesus, his death, death, crucifixion, resurrection, and his coming back is so that he can establish the kingdom. So this prayer is best saying, Jesus, please come in the kingdom. May your kingdom come. May you come and establish your kingdom. Come now, Jesus. Hallelujah. Some people are not ready for Jesus to come back. Amen. <laughs> Ask your neighbor, are you ready for him to come back? So your kingdom come. Your authority come. Obviously, your authority must be on, on my life. I must be born again. See, to be born again, to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is to come under the authority of God. To live your life under the authority of God. Right? And so even in this prayer, you are presupposing that the authority of God is upon you. And that you are going to follow the authority. And that you are going to do everything in your power to ensure that that kingdom comes back into the earth again. How does it come back into the earth? Well, by the preaching of this gospel. When this gospel, the ends of the world, that's when the end is going to come because Jesus will now come with his kingdom and authority. It says, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so again, your kingdom come and your will be done. The things that you want to happen, let them happen. The way that it is in heaven, let it be like that here. Now I want you to watch. Prayer does not start with your needs. Amen. Tell your neighbor, prayer does not start with your needs. Tell them there's a protocol to prayer. Prayer starts with God. So there's the praising of God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. First repetitions directed towards God. Next repetitions directed toward human need. Watch verse number 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Does it say give us this year our yearly bread? 
give us this day, kid, our day, kids, bread. No, it's give us this day, our daily bread. Isn't it? Give us this day, our daily bread. Why daily? Aren't you God? Future, past, present in them. And can't you just take care of all these things just one time, just like that, and so that I don't have to go through any troubles at all, and even doubt you at times because I'm broke, busted, and disgusted? No. One day at a time. So faith, that's what faith is about. One day at a time, you trust him for tomorrow. He'll take care of you tomorrow. Trust him today. And so, they pray, give us this day our daily bread. Everything that we need, O oh Lord, may you supply it for us today. Give us this day our daily bread. Our needs, not our wants, they're different. I want a jet. I want a Maybach, and I want but do I need? That's a totally different thing, isn't it? Need is a totally different thing. Is that something that I need to fulfill the purposes of God in the earth? It may not be. And this is where we need to be careful because you see, we're running different races. We have different missions with different needs. And so we better not be watching somebody else and watching how stuff is going on with them and wanting that it should also be the same for us. Huh? You and I need to watch our race, our mission, and we need to run according to the race that he has set before us. And we need to ask for our needs according, or we need to ask of him according to our needs that we need. And so, give us this day our daily bread. Second petition, direct toward human need, verse number 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors now watch this, interestingly. Jesus means sins. <laughs> he means sins. Forgive us our sins. Unless maybe you are in the same bank in Conde with God. And you owe him something, you owe him some money. No. Right? So the transaction we have with the Father is really about our lives, our righteousness, isn't it? Right? And so when he says debts here, he actually means our sins. Forgive us our sins. And yet, are portrayed as debts. Now, if somebody owes you money, and they ask you for more money, would you give them money? Unless you're the World Bank or the IMF, so you can keep some people in bondage, right? But under, under normal circumstances, you are not going to give somebody that already owes. Isn't it? And so, that's the understanding here. God will not transact with you if you Oh, in other words, if there is sin that has not been brought before the Father, confessed before the Father, it actually means then that God will do nothing about your situation. Now, is there an expectation that somebody that has become a believer in Jesus Christ will never sin again? No. You see, that's a lie that the enemy perpetrates out there. That, oh no, now that you're a born-again believer, it never do any single wrong thing. If you do any single wrong, you're a liar. You're not true. No. First John, chapter number 1, says, If we say that we have not sinned, we, Christians, if we say that we have not sinned, then the truth is not in us. And we make him out, that is God, to be a liar. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all of all unrighteousness. And so, means this, I should keep short accounts with God. When I mess up, 
I should confess and say, Lord, I agree. I have sinned. I have done such, such a thing. But I want you to forgive me. And he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive all our iniquity. But watch the other part of this verse. Verse number 12. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Are we in debt with him? There are also others that are in debt with us. Others that have sinned against us. Others that we need to forgive. When you forgive somebody of something, you don't make them pay for it. When you forgive, you see, to forgive, it means that you're saying, okay, I'm not going to make you pay for it. So if I forgive you, you're, I'm not going to come back and say, oh, you owe me money. No, I forgive you, isn't it? So if you have sinned against me and I forgive you of your sin against me, then I'll not come back and say, well, you, you did such, such a thing to me. That's not forgiveness. Now I want you to watch this. This forgiveness from God is dependent on our forgiveness of each other. This forgiveness from God is dependent on our forgiveness with of our forgiveness of others. In other words, if my relationship with you is not right, it means my relationship with God cannot be right. If I'm harboring a grudge against you, I cannot at the very same time flow with God. Not that I'll lose my salvation, but that I will not walk in the blessing that I'm supposed to walk in. So the things that I'm asking God to do for me, the things that I'm asking God to help me out with, they're not going to materialize because God says, listen, you have not forgiven that person, so how do you expect me that I'll forgive you? Here's the truth of the matter. For many of us, it's not the devil that's an obstacle. In fact, the devil is getting too much credit and he loves it. Because we've come at a place where we're just scared of the devil. Hey, it could be the obstacle is you. It could be the obstacle is you. You and your unforgiving spirit. And with your unforgiving spirit, you can release the power of God upon your life. Hallelujah. So before we bind the devil, before we go on that fast, before we go on that prayer, whatever, or, or we go to that prophet or apostle or pastor, whatever. Before we do that, can we just check our hearts? And some of us will find we have hit lists. Number one, so and so. Number two, so and so. Number three, so and so. Number four, so and so. I mean, you're married and in your 40s and you still have somebody that hurt you in secondary school, primary school, and you still have a grudge. Come on. No, 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 no. You forget that person. You give him over to God. It hurts you. Yes, it hurts. But you must move on. And you can't move on until you forgive. So God will forgive us. Our debt. According to the way we have forgotten, we have forgiven our debtors. Look at the third petition directed toward human need. Verse number 13. And lead us not into temptation but the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. Is he saying that, okay, I don't want to suffer, Lord Jesus. Mm -mm. See, temptation can also be translated testing. And so this is actually a prayer that, Lord, may you preserve me in the testing. That may I not come at a point where I'm tested so 
badly, I don't know, so, so intensely that I sin. So may you please not lead me into that place. But here's something that we know about temptations and we know about the testing of God. God allows temptations and testings to come our way so that we can pass. What teacher would want you to go through a test that he knows, she knows you're going to fail? They'll try their best to prepare you, isn't it? And so even though tests might come, even though troubles and challenges are going to come into our lives, God is not the author of bringing us down. He's the one that wants us to pass those exams. In fact, it is through trouble, through suffering, through temptations that we actually go. Some things become very clear. Some purposes become very clear in our lives when we get ditched by that boyfriend or girlfriend, isn't it? Hallelujah. Some things become clear when we lose that job. Some things become clear that, oh, this is who I am. This is what I'm about because of something bad that has happened to us. And so we should not see temptations and all these tests and stuff like that always in the negative way. It's also a redemptive thing that God wants to do through those problems. And so, the prayer should be, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the devil, deliver us from the evil one, deliver us from evil. So the understanding here is, this is something that is also coming, or something that is coming from the evil one. And so the evil one is out there to ensure that you stop moving into the that God has for you. And for a very simple reason. He knows if you move into the destiny that God has for you, you are going to bring his kingdom crashing down. You see, when this gospel, this good news, the kingdom of God, gets to the ends of the world, that's when Jesus is going to come. That's when it's game over for Satan. And Satan will ensure that he does, he pulls every trick in his trade to make sure that it's our advancement. And so here it is, a prayer for protection, a prayer for progress against the enemy. Oh, some of us, we live our lives as if there's no devil. And so when things go wrong, who are we blaming? God. You think it's just you and God? It's not just you and God. There is the devil making sure that you don't move into the destiny that God has called you into. And so he says, when you pray, that's how you should pray. You should pray prote protection over you. You pray with the understanding that you also have authority. Hallelujah. Jesus told his disciples, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and nothing shall harm you. And so it is from that standpoint that this prayer is being prayed. You have authority. You have authority over the enemy. And so enforce that authority. But no, the enemy is out to get you. And so Jesus wraps up, verse number 14, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Very clear, is it? Self-explanatory. We don't even have to go into the Hebrew, the Greek, the Kewa, the whatever. Very simple. If you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. Ask your neighbor, are you stopping you? Are you stopping you? Because if you don't forgive, you're stopping you. When you let go, you are making God to embrace you and say, okay, I'll move you forward in the destiny that I have for you. God rewards humble giving. Number two, God rewards 
humble praying. And then number three, God rewards humble fasting. Watch verse number 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Now I want you to watch. It didn't say if you fast, right? Did it say if you fast? No. When you fast. In other words, it's expected of disciples of Jesus that they should fast. Amen. It's expected of disciples of Jesus that they should fast. Oh, but don't you know, in chapter number 9, there were these disciples of John the baptizer that came to Jesus and said, uh, is it that the disciples of John and the Pharisees, they, they fast, but your disciples don't fast. And Jesus said that, well, when the, the bridegroom with, uh, is with the friends of the bridegroom, then the friends of the bridegroom cannot be fasting. So he meant himself and disciples as the friends of the as the friends of the bridegroom, right? And so he's saying basically, no, I'm here, I'm with them. Right now is not the time that they should be doing those things. The bridegroom with us, by the way, is Jesus still with us? Anybody seen Jesus? No liars in the house. Nobody seen Jesus, right? Unless maybe you saw. No, okay. But when Jesus went, they were supposed to be doing this. Because in fasting, in prayer, that's where, my friend, there is power. In fact, there was a time the disciples of Jesus could not cast out a demon out of a child. And Jesus comes back from the mountain and then he, he sees the child, prays for the child. The child gets delivered of the demon. And then the disciples behind, they start asking, so why is it that we couldn't cast out the demon? He says, because that one takes much prayer. And other versions add, and fasting. So in fasting, you're moving from this level of prayer to another level of prayer. In the Lord's prayer, you're speaking the prayer. Amen. In fasting, you are the prayer. Amen. And so Jesus expects his disciples that they will be fasting. When you fast, and when you fast, verse number 16, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. You know, some people are like that, eh? They want to show that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm praying. And some people, even when they're praying in church, they twist up their faces like, okay, so what's happening? Oh, I'm in prayer. Uh-uh. Look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. Mm -mm. Just be yourself. Isn't it? Just be yourself. Don't, don't, don't do any weird things. And that's the other thing, you know, that, you know, people that are not Christians, they look at us and say, what, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Can't you just say things properly? And then when you start speaking or start preaching, you've got this preacher's voice, ah, so that you're under the anointing, ah, and everybody knows power, the anointing has come upon you, ah. <laughs> no, we don't pretend, we're not acting, we shouldn't be acting, isn't it? We shouldn't be acting at all, right? And so again, that when you fast, don't disfigure yourself. Don't make it like you want to prove to everybody that, you know, I'm really fasting, I'm really fasting, I'm really fasting. And acting all weird and dressing up a certain way so that people will start asking you, so what, what fasting? Or you come at a point where you don't even swallow your saliva, you start spitting all over the... <laughs> Why? Well, I'm, I'm fasting, I don't want anything to go down my throat. He says, no, verse number 17, but when you fast, 
anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in heaven. He says when you fast, you know, put on that cologne, that perfume, look normal. Look like things are just like any other day. Why? Because it's not about other people seeing that you're fasting. And some other people use their fasting or their piety, their holiness, to be something that they impress others with. Eh? Especially us Christians. Isn't it? Manot. So you must be scared of the man of God and just don't approach the man of God like that. And Nonsense. This is a gift. This, I tell you, this is a gift. It's a gift from God. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve something that is given. And so it's not for me to lord it over you because, hey, listen, I'm, I'm the man of God. When I'm coming through there with my bag, you, all of you run and grab my bag. Come on. That's not Jesus' way. It's the big man in the political party out there with his entourage and he's impressing everybody. That they are something when they really are just like everybody else. So Jesus who knelt down to wash the feet of his disciples. To do the job of the lowest slave in the household. This one is not about impressing others with his piety. I mean he didn't go around as oh you know I'm the son of God. So you just don't come and talk to me. You talk to Peter first. Uh -uh. And if you remember when he was in that crowd and that lady with the issue of blood touched him and he felt that some power had left him. He was in a crowd and he said, who touched me? And Peter, the big mouth that he is, what do you mean who touched you? Can't you see all these people around you? There are all these people around you. What do you mean who touched you? Now he tells us something about the relationship Jesus had with those people. It was a natural friendship relationship see this is reminding us that our holiness our piety our righteousness is something that we use to impress other people and so he says those people that do that those people will be rewarded right here but those people that do their fasting not to be seen by others they will be rewarded by the father who is in secret and your father who is in who sees in secret will reward you. What's your righteousness like? Is it worn on a sleeve that everybody sees? Oh, you know, that must be, that's a Christian. Is it in such a way that it's supposed to impress other people? Is it one that is hypocritical just on the outside, but inside it really has no strength? Like that big guy at the gym who's just busy lifting things but never does any cardio exercises and so his heart is weak. Let's come at a point where we have a humble holiness. That is about the inside and our relationship with God. And our relationship with God must start in pride with ourselves and God. From there, that's when it overflows to church and all these other things that we do. But first and foremost, a piety must be a private thing that overflows into the public sphere. And that's what God is calling us. I'd like to encourage you. I know life is busy. I know there's assignments. I know there are 
deals to be done and all these things that need to be done and they can take away from the time with we need so much isn't it I'd like to ask you that this week may you make a commitment I'm going to spend time with God I'm going to spend at least 30 minutes with God so what am I do well you can read your word you can meditate on the word you can come to God in prayer here's an outline for prayer isn't it you can pray as it is in here, expand on it on the very and the you need to do that you know God is speaking to you about. And I tell you, we will become stronger Christians. We'll become more influential in our Christianity as we impact the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Kairos Lolongwe podcast. I trust you've been blessed. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with friends on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and whatever social media you're on. May the Lord break you through into your kingdom destiny. Blessings.